You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Local elections are exactly two weeks away today. And this particular local election is a very important local election. I believe it's the Rubicon of local elections since our democracy came about in 1994. I foresee that there's going to be a growth within the small parties and particularly we're going to be seeing a lot more coalition type governments on a local basis. Helping me to make sense of this and also to let us know a little bit more about why he's decided to get involved in politics is an old friend of our show, ex-Radio 2000 uh, presenter and Kaiser Chief Superstar Kenny Niemack. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad, for having me and uh, shalom to all the listeners. Uh, it is, once again, I must say, an absolute pleasure having a chat with you today. I'm so, I'm so excited. Um, a lot has been happening and uh, we really find ourselves uh, at, at the cusp of real possible change for the benefit of all South Africa. So, Kenny, I've known you a very long time. And in all these years, you've always had an opinion, but you've kept that opinion very objective based on the fact that you were a public figure, both as a, as a well-known sportsman and then, of course, as a radio presenter. What happened to make you now decide that you want to become actively involved in politics to the extent that you're now standing for the UIM for a ward seat in Ukuruleni? Well, a lot has happened, Chad. I mean, you look, we, we've been in, in this new dispensation now for 27 years. Uh, and I must say, uh, it's had its pitfalls. Um, we, at the time, thought, okay, we're going to come into this new dispensation. We're going to have freedoms uh, as uh, uh, it is already given to us in the Constitution. Uh, but there's a lot that's not being done um, for communities, especially the so-called minorities. Uh, there's a lot not being done. The few are benefiting from the systems that are at play. Um that's one of the reasons. The other reason being is that I, I, I happened to bump into a video of Neil De Beer, and I saw the work he was doing in Cape Town, uh, particularly, you know, in the, the strife-torn areas where there's been struggle, uh, where you find drugs uh, being very prominent. And as a result, you're finding wars in, in, in areas and communities where people are suffering. And this man carried his heart on his sleeve. Uh, showed courage beyond measure, and I thought, my goodness me, he's not from the community, but he goes and he puts himself in the war zone to protect people he doesn't even know. So this is a man that's after the people's heart. He also feeds people. He So he's given his heart, and, and then when I heard that he is doing this, I thought to myself, why not? And I raised my hand and I said, you know, I've got a quiet voice, but, you know, at some point, common sense has to prevail, and, and if we are going to be quiet, nothing is going to change. And, you know, we've got to be that change that we want. We've got to be that change. There's a lot that happens that we don't know in terms of what our rights are within, uh, especially within the communities, within the municipalities. Uh, there's so much that goes on from a legal perspective uh, that is ignored, where people don't know they have certain rights. And I start to read up on these things and think, We've got to contribute in terms of governance, and we've got to become a part of governance. Uh, so, hence, that's the reason why I felt I've got to raise my voice. I think my history, uh, the things that I've done in my life, uh, have brought me to this point, this point where I can actually l- now lend my voice with some experience, because I've always been amongst the people. And if you think about it, Chad, 
throughout my career as a football player, South Africa has come out in numbers to support me. So I, I, I think this is the payback where I come to raise my hand and say, uh, I, Kenny Nemec, now come to serve you. I want to serve you, the people, because you've been fantastic throughout my career. You've supported me in every endeavor. The, the stadiums were always full. We were always supported. So I come now to say, how can I help you? Let me be the person who will raise his voice on your behalf and start to find solutions to some of the problems that we have. We don't want to hear the rhetoric of division, of hate. We, we want our country to heal and to move forward. So the only way that's going to happen is with the right perspective. Neil De Beer, for me, has the right perspective. But not only that, he has principles. He's driven by a motive God has placed upon him. You know, without, without God, we can't do anything. And when you see a man operating from right principles, you can't help but support it. So I've known Neil for 30 plus years as well. And it's very interesting for me to see this dynamic of people that I've known over the years now taking a stand from both a, a position of where they may perhaps be well known, such as yourself, or they may have been community orientated like our guest next week, Colin Morris. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the manifesto of the UIM and what you aim to achieve should you be fortunate enough to receive the people's vote this coming November 1st. We're going to listen to our advertisers quick. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. In two weeks' time, I'll be sitting in the hot seat right here at High FM reporting live on the local elections, chatting to the spokespersons of all the relevant parties. Leading up to that, I've decided to have a chat with those that are, have taken a stand, that are community-orientated, and will be able to give us a little bit more insight to their parties. Now, two of the parties that seem to have taken a lot of communities by storm in terms of what they've promised and committed to do are the UIM, which is the United Independent Movement, and Action SA. Next week, I'll be chatting to Colin Morris from Action SA, but today we're chatting to my old friend, the sports star, Kenny Nemec, and his role at the UIM. So, Kenny, a little bit later in the show, I want to talk more about what you want to see happening in respect of fraud, corruption, that's at localized level, because we even have tenders at localized level, and what people are unaware of is we have municipal-owned entities. So when we hear about problems on a national basis with SAA and with ESKIM, we also hear about problems on a localized basis. In Johannesburg, for example, we know there's problems at Pick It Up. We know there's problems at Joburg Property Company all of which are municipal-owned entities. So local government is critical to the functioning of our country. How does the UIM plan on doing things differently? Well, look, it's, it's long been in the media or the issues of corruption. Uh, I think accountability, and I think that's the reason why I decided to stand as a ward councillor. Because first and foremost, it's the first time I've had to learn of the IDP, Integrated uh, Development Plan. Uh, those things are not communicated to the people of the municipality because it's it's where then corruption then can go under the carpet. If you look at the areas that we currently live in, there hasn't been development in years. There are pipes broken, roads are not done, grass is not cut. I mean, these are all service delivery issues. These are one of the things that are going to be focused. That is why we want to maintain accountability so that I can be the bridge between the people and the actual council. And, and these things have been flouted to such a degree that 
For the last 27 years, you haven't seen any growth or development within these communities. Reason being, they are not shared amongst the people. This is a democracy. It is rule of the people, for the people, by the people. And the people are not involved in governance. So they are making decisions at their behest on behalf of the government, on behalf of the people, but they've not invested in the people. You find that everything has gone up. Everything has gone up as far as electricity, uh, water, sanitation. You name it, it's all gone up. But nothing has been plowed back into the community. So where is the money? So we would get into a position where we would ask, can we have a review? So we can start to look at what the IDP has been doing for these last few years. And let's start to hold some people accountable. So Kenny, I remember back in 2009, you had a show on Radio 2000, 2010 and beyond. And it was all about the upcoming World Cup. And I was very fortunate to be your um, specialist guest on a regular basis to talk about safety and security leading up to the World Cup so that we could encourage foreigners to come. It was the official FIFA radio station for the World Cup. You and I would go out, we'd have coffee somewhere, and people would recognize you immediately. There was a specific demographic. It was the Kaiser Chief supporters. It was other soccer supporters that recognized you. The same happened when you and I co-produced um, African Soccer Renaissance. When we went into Soweto, we were with the late former singer, may his dear soul rest in peace, and you were very recognizable. You're now standing in Ukuruleni, and I'm, I'm assuming it's on a PR vote system, not for a specific ward. You can correct me if it's for a specific ward or if it's for the, from a PR perspective. But how do you think your brand recognition will relate to a voting demographic, which would have been the same voting demographic as your supporters within Kaiser Chiefs, who tend to have loyalty to the older, more established political parties because they believe they owe them a debt in respect of the liberation? Well, that's a very, very good question, Chad. Uh, firstly, I am standing for Ward 31 in the Boxburg area. Um, as far as loyalties are concerned, this is why I, I think it's important for us to address the issue. This is not a heartfelt vote. This is a vote uh, of what is right. Uh, for 27 years, things haven't changed. They've actually gone into a steady decline. Now, the only way we can come out of this is to recognize that we are actually in crisis. But here's the good news. The good news is that crisis uh, precipitates change. Crisis precipitates change so that at least after they change their minds or change their hearts and start to look at leadership in a different way. That's why I say this is not about loyalty. This is about what can you do for me? You, you, you don't have to like me. You've got to like what I'm able to do for you. If we are able to improve our situation, if we are able to become accountable, then we have proper governance in place. This is about governance. Uh, our constitution states this country is for all South Africans. We have a Bill of Rights. All of it has been flouted because lots of things have been hidden and not seen by the people. Now, I don't want to appeal to a person's heart because they know me as a soccer player, but rather appeal to the idea of what can Kenny do for me? What can the UIM do for me? The United Independent Movement is for the people. It is not about riches. It is not about establishing a, a person to become famous. It is not about that. It is about bridging that gap between the people and government and having a voice that is accountable. You know, as a soccer player, 
If I didn't perform on the field, immediately the coach will take me off. He'll give me, he'll say to me, listen, you're not doing it. Then he put somebody else in. Why in this situation, you can constantly not do your job, not perform, and you're still on the field of play? I mean, there are some of them that should be given a red card, but I, I'm not here to cast aspersion on anyone's character uh, or any political party. But I think we need to change our hearts. We need to start to understand a bit differently. And that's the only time we're going to start to go forward. We listen to the rhetoric. They hold on to uh, the, the, the coats of, of history. Uh, and they bring it forward. All divisive in ways to divide the heart of people so they can't see the wood from the trees. So we come now at this moment in time to say a person who leads has got to be principled. And if he doesn't have God in that idea, I, I can't just can't see it happening. I can't see it happening. Now, we have, fortunately at this time, somebody in Neil De Beer who is guided by the principles of God. And that means he cares from his heart and he cares about the people. So you cannot lead if you do not care. If you're leading for a different purpose, it really doesn't serve the people. I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome of the local elections, um, specifically with regards to the PR votes, because what a lot of people are unaware of is you don't just vote for a ward councillor, but the vote you make for a specific party goes into a percentage pool, and even although some wards may not be won, those particular political parties may still get PR seats within the council. So I'm looking forward to see what happens. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about the apathy aspect of um, the, the, the vote and how are we going to get people to come out and vote. We're chatting today about the very important upcoming local elections. I'll be sitting in the hot seat right here at Chai FM on 1 November bringing you live updates of the local elections. But one thing that's worrying me immensely is that coming out of the, the COVID pandemic, coming out of unrest in our country, dealing with massive unemployment, there is apathy towards the election process. People don't believe they can make a change. Kenny, what do you make of that statement I just made? Part of the manifesto, we, we talk about addressing especially the issues of investment. And I said earlier on that a lot of the rhetoric uh, has come from those to hold people hostage uh, as to our past history. But what they've not done, they've not come with solutions. And this is where the UIM is a lot different um, because the whole issue of land without compensation, first and foremost, it chases away foreign investment. Um, we can no longer be stuck in the past. We are in the present, and the present now must start to build the future. Uh, also, nationalization of, of parastatals. All these are issues that chase away foreign investments. We also need to start looking at how we can draw revenue from our exports um, and reinvest them in local industries. The idea here is let's put our people back to work. Let's put our people back to work. Let's not be sellouts. We've sold our people out by importing everything that most of, most of which that operates in our market is of an inferior quality. And, 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 and I'm disappointed because, you know, I've been involved in the tax industry for a long, long time. And you have a situation, especially in Erkulen, you have 42,000 businesses here. But we are sitting now at a, at a, at a, at a percentage of probably 51% unemployment. So why are we no longer looking to increase 
you know, the, the people from these communities to work in these areas where production then can get back to the level that it was previously. Local investment needs to be increased, especially uh, in the sector as far as uh, development is concerned. So you, you're standing in an area of a Kuruleni, and Kuruleni is known as an aerotropolis. It is yes. a hub because it's where all of our import-exports take place that are used in terms of air freight. One thing that I've always looked at and I've pondered about is the longest trains in the world run from Katu and Postmansburg to Saldana. It takes iron ore and that iron ore gets taken across to China. It gets manufactured and we land up importing back a manufactured product. We have used the excuse that the whole world uses that the Chinese just do it so cheaply. It may not be necessarily a product made cheaply, but because of their mass buying power and their mass labor, they're able to produce far, far quicker. And this has had an impact on our local industry. I think it's bizarre that we send something overseas just to import a product that was our raw material in the first place. Do you see something happening in Ukuruleni and in other metropolitans across the country where we can encourage um, industry to come back, manufacturing to come back? It's, it's very pertinent, but also it depends on our relationships uh, uh, with some of our, our foreign friends and those who support us. If you look, we manufacture guns. We, we manufacture weapons. We, we manufacture so much. People have no idea at how powerful South Africa has been in terms of this front and, and, and how we have led from the front in terms of Africa. We no longer need to sell off our resources uh, to somebody else and buy them back because then you have a, a ripple effect where we have a poor social economic position because that direct effect now or that gap that should be replowed into communities is now lost and vacated because of a foreign country benefiting from it. And I, I don't think that we are not capable. We are capable. The whole issue here is obviously the cost factor needs to be looked at and how we can actually make it work. But as South Africans, I think we ought to look, re-look at the issues of, of how we can start to increase our manufacturing um, industry once again. You know, we used to make the best clothing here. Uh, all of a sudden, they all close. We used to, I'm telling you, the manufacturing within this area and the engineering in this area is is second to none. There are countries that we used to make arms here. We we I don't understand how it all fell apart. Uh, but anyway, the thing is now not to look behind us and to look now how we can start to address these issues so that we can start to fix these things because there is funding available. Councils do get funding, and the thing is, where the funding goes is something that must be investigated. And the people need to be apprised as to what they've done over this period and where has all that money gone anyway, you know? We're looking for investment locally first so that we can improve the infrastructure and get things working. And putting our people back to work, I think, is the first priority. It's the first priority so that people no longer walk about angry and in hate we start to instill, instill their dignity as a people. And I think this is very, very important. What I think a lot of people are unaware of is that when they cast their ballots on the 1st of November, they're not just casting a ballot for their ward. They're also casting a, a ballot for the party that they're voting for. It's one ballot, but what it does is it creates what's known as proportional representation. So there are two sets of councillors that are elected. Those that are elected directly by the people 
by the ward, and then there are those people that are elected because their party received a percentage at the polls. It is critically important that you go out and vote on 1 November. We're going to hear from our advertisers. When we come back, we're going to spend the last few minutes chatting to Kenny about what he plans to do should he be elected for his local ward from a community perspective. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about the all-important topic of the upcoming local elections. Two weeks from today, 1 November. I really hope you get out and you vote. Helping me make sense of what's going to be happening on that day is UIM um, potential ward councillor, somebody that uh, has a long history with our show, Kenny Nemack, the ex-soccer superstar. Kenny, let's talk about elections on the most local of levels. When we talk about local elections, what people don't seem to realize is that's democracy at its most simple. It's where you experience democracy in its truest format. You have somebody you can contact direct, and it impacts you you directly, whether it's potholes, whether it's refuse, whether it's lights, whether it's water. And then, of course, crime. Crime is on everybody's mind. What do you plan to do for your ward should you be elected? I think that's one of the things that's also part of the manifesto, zero tolerance to gang violence and drugs, etc., and uh, domestic terrorism. I think it's an issue that we obviously would have to address with the community. We already currently have private companies that are operating here. Uh, if we can make them more efficient, if we can make them more inclusive, if we can make it that it becomes an opportunity for all uh, the members of the community to participate in, uh, a lot needs to change, especially in the in the in the heart and minds of the people in our community. They need to be for it. They need to buy into the idea that safety is imperative for us to thrive as a people. We can no longer feel as if we cannot leave our homes. Hijackings, I mean, I mean, so so unnecessary. But the community needs to stand together to ensure that that community is safe. So we've got to find those solutions. But I think all that will come in terms of consultation with the people because they then ought to collectively we will put together something and take it to council and sit with council and try to find a solution that will best fit that particular community. Let's talk about UIM on a national basis. Are they contesting in um, a lot of wards or have they chosen specific areas in which they want to, to campaign? And what was the thinking behind the areas that they've gone into? Look, I think it's a national campaign uh, as far as I understand. Uh, yesterday and the day before, um, the president of the UIM uh, was down in Durban and is engaging in people down in Durban. Uh, also, a group of us went to Soweto, to Durancorp, and we engaged with some people on the other side of Soweto. I mean, you, you've got a, such a divide. It's, it's unreal. When you get there, you get – I sat and I spoke with an 86-year-old man, and you could see his face was forlorn because – you could see the suffering that he's gone through and the misunderstanding because he's been promised so many things and he hasn't seen that promise. They don't have sanitation. They don't have anything. Uh, they're still living in sh- uh, shack dwellings. These are issues that should not be in this day and age. These are people, you look at the kids running around there, they're playing in a field with red sand. I went and I spoke to the kids. They're trying to create a structure. This is why I say governance is very important. Without governance, we are going to lose our way, and we will slowly start to descend into chaos. So as far as I understand, the UIM is going to be national, and it's the fastest-growing political party at the moment, even though they're so new. 
Uh, and, and really, it's been a humbling for me to be a part of it and to grow with it, to learn uh, and to become more, to serve the people. And uh, I've got to say, uh, you know, a big ups to, to Neil DeBeer and for what he's done and how he's led from the front, front with his uh, uh, heart on his sleeve. So I'm really excited at what the response will be. And once again, I urge people, this is not uh, an emotional vote. This is a, a vote for what is right. You've got to look at governance. This is not me coming uh, as a colored person, but coming as a proudly South African person to implore you, think about your rights. Think about how you can actually uh, make a vote and participate so that we no longer have to look behind us and have the problems that we've had in the past 27 years. Let this be now our new beginning. In closing, Kenny, if somebody in Ukuruleni wants to vote, why should they be voting for you in particular in that Boxburg ward? Look, because I've raised my hand to say I'm willing to serve the people. I'm not doing this because I want to be a rock star. I want to uh, flout my riches on, 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 on social media, etc. That's not what it's about. This is about being a servant of the people. This is about having your fingers on the pulse and ensuring that certain requirements, certain needs are met by the communities so that we can start to thrive as a people. The suffering sometimes you see is unbearable. It's not fair. And I don't think in this day and age that we should have such disparity between us that we look at some people who barely got anything to eat. And this should not be the case because these means are already with council it's just the dispersion and, and how you actually spread it and get it to the people I think is lacking. So if I can be that intermediary, I can be that person who goes, who's the go-between between council and the people, and I will fight for their rights. That's what this is about, is somebody having the willingness to get out of his chair and to fight for the people's rights. Kenny Nemec, as always, it's been a complete pleasure chatting to you, and I wish you well come 1 November. Thank you very much, Chad. God bless you. So last week we were met with the most astounding news that three ministers had been taken hostage and that the special task force, together with the military police, had to come in and save these ministers. Despite the fact that these ministers have VIP protection, which we as taxpayers spend billions of rands on every year. Now, what made this all the more surprising is that the ministers that were held were not juniors. One was the Minister of Defense, one was the Deputy Minister of Defense, and the other was a minister in the presidency. And who held them? Well, representatives of the War Veterans Association. Now, MKVA, the, the, the Mkwantu Isesu Military Veterans Association, was disbanded by the ANC earlier this year due to a lot of problematic issues that had raised themselves and there's now an organization now known as the LSWV. The reason why I'm finding this such an interesting, important topic which has such an impact on our country is is multifold. And let me start at the beginning. During the amalgamation process of the Homeland Forces, the then South African Defense Force, Mkontui Siswe and Upla, I was an acting member of, of, of the Defense Force. I was permanent force based at VIT Command and we were part of the whole amalgamation process and the amalgamated troops were sent to Wammensdahl and to De Brugge for training. So I had a personal stake in understanding all of this processes and working with military veterans from both the homelands as well as the liberation forces. 
when you hear of veterans taking people hostage to make demands, one has to start questioning where we are going. And then one starts to look at the numbers involved and one starts to realize it's all financial based. And then one sees government's reaction who are now engaged in talks and wanting to help further with regards to these, these veterans demands. And it leaves one thinking, but hold on a sec. Has South Africa reached a point where if you want your case to be heard, you hold people hostage? It doesn't make any sense. If that's going to be a precedent that's going to be set, we're going to see a lot more violence taking place in our country. Now, there's a political and, and military commentator that's on Twitter. His name is Darren Ulafi, and he broke down a lot of what I've touched on in the last couple of minutes, and that goes back to the amalgamation period, how many people were amalgamated, what they were paid out if they left the volunt- with voluntary severance packages, and most importantly, the new numbers of supposed vets and how much they're demanding. So I, I want to go through this thread from um, Darren Ulafi on Twitter so you can get a little bit of a background. Between 1993 and 1996, the SADF, MK, Upler, and TBVC forces were integrated into a new force, the SANDF, via a carefully negotiated process agreed to by all sides. Each force produced a certified personnel register of its members for either integration or demobilization, depending on age, skills, and willingness to integrate. According to his says, list had 28,888 names. Uplers had 6,000 names. A British military advisory team oversaw the process. By the end of the integration period, though, only 15,416 Mkwantui and Upler personnel combined had actually reported to the assembly points. Those who didn't report, along with around 4,000 of those who did report, voluntarily demobilized for a one-time gratuity payment based on length of service. At the time, the cost of these gratuity payments amounted to around 225 million rand. That's nearly 1 billion rand today. No further payments or support were planned at the time or formally promised by any official or by any official structure. There was a clear divide, however, between the MK members who had joined early in the struggle and trained in other countries and a large number of self-defense unit members who were hastily recruited in South Africa in the final stages of the struggle who received minimal training. These self-defense unit members were not only largely unsuitable for integration into the SANDF because of their poor training, but they received minimal gratuity payments or demobilization because they'd only been in MK service for a relatively small amount of time. The integration process was not perfect, mostly because the personnel registers were flawed because of the difficulty of accurately tracking members of guerrilla forces. Many went under combat names only. Some people reported were not even on the registers. For that reason, there was at least one General Assembly notice for any former MK or Upla member to report who weren't on the registers. A post-integrator audit was also conducted, finding some minor issues, but not enough to render the entire process illegitimate. Fast forward to 2002, the political parties consider a sufficient number of assemblies and iterations integration took place within the termination of the Intake Act. No more integrations, demobilizations or gratuities were legally allowed. Years later, as the MK Military Veterans Association became a more powerful faction within the ANC, particularly in KZN, there was pressure to reward veterans. The result was the 2011 Military Veterans Act established the Department of Military Veterans with a 650 million rand annual budget. That budget is just to manage this Department of Military Veterans. 
Importantly, the Military Veterans Act defined veterans as including both SANDF veterans and members of the former Liberation Armies like MK and Apkler, regardless of integration status. So it also includes those who demobilize or never reported at the assembly points. This this DAV provides a number of benefits to military veterans, including housing, health care, employment placement, and burial subsidies. Veterans also get preferential treatment in government tenders. So the situation for ex-MK soldiers is today much better than it was prior 2011. And this is where it gets interesting. We've now got this Liberation Struggle War Veterans, which is a group that sprung up out of nowhere at more or less the same time as the ANC disbanded the Mkwantui Sesuwe Military Veterans Associations. It's also introduced a new set of demands, such as a 4 million rand payout for each former soldier, land and jobs. This is now the interesting part. This new organization claims to have 40,000 members, which is far more than both MK and Apple combined claim they had in 93-94, not counting those who've passed away. So there's a strong likelihood that most of these members are not part of or the struggle at all. In short, this organization is not an authentic representation of former MK and Apple soldiers. This is a issue that needs to be addressed. Holding ministers hostage does not work. Giving people a voice who are not in fact duly authorized to have a voice should not be on. And if we are going to allow people to hold our ministers hostage, which is a criminal offense of the worst kind to try to get their message across, we are in for a bad, bad trip. Thank you so much for joining me today. Next week in the hot seat, Colin Morris from Action SA telling us all about their manifesto. And remember, 1st of November, I'll be in studio to public holiday live reporting on what is happening on the ground with our local elections. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Chad Thomas.